0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Continuing where we left off last week. Where did we leave off last week? verses 19 through 21, I think. The responsibility for communicators of the Word of God. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. So if you've preached more than 5,000 times, that's many words. Undoubtedly, you've said something wrong. (laughs) Bad. Thoughtless. Um but he who restrains his lips is wise. So what's the answer? Leave the ministry, quit saying anything? No, let's be fearful before the Lord and humble and um, identify your role as his servant to speak only that which he gives to you and not to speak presumptuously in, uh, don't say, oh, thus says the Lord when it's not the Lord saying it. All right? Because it's an awesome responsibility as a communicator of the Word of God. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God to bless our time of study to sanctify the words that are spoken today. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth, recognizing that it's a grace provision that we are here today. Your grace, Father, that has provided this lampstand and provided a, a building in which to meet the lights are on, the air is running. You're so faithful, Father. We thank you for all you've supplied. We ask for your blessing upon our time of study as the word of God goes forth. Humble us to receive the word implanted. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as far as the outline is concerned, I found a new feature. I kind of like this. (laughs) I don't think this was a feature in the earlier versions of PowerPoint, but it's available now. So you can kind of sneak a peek at everything you've done, decide which one you want to go to. All right. So in verse 12, that was point nine in the outline, and we were looking at verse 12. Proverbs 10:12 follows the conceals violence inclusio with a beautiful covering concealment that is always done in love, and uh, love covers all transgressions. Uh, we spent some time dealing with. Of course this gets quoted in the New Testament as well and we understand it for what it is. How we operate in love and we choose to stay silent about certain things. We choose to keep our mouths shut. We don't make it an issue. And uh, we're not hiding the sin. We're not making excuses for the sin. We're not excusing the sin, but we are not using it as a weapon against uh, our brother or our sister in those applications. And so uh, we have a principle here. We spent some time dealing with that. We also moved on to verses 13 and 14 and cover those two verses under point 10. Verses 13 and 14. On the lips of the discerning wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish ruin is at hand. And so we have a pair of verses here, 13 and 14, where the first half of each verse is centered on wisdom and the public benefit that happens with those that have wisdom in, in society, in your neighborhood, in your in your city, in your state, in your nation. The more wisdom that we have, the, the greater benefit it is to our culture, to our society. And then the second half of verse 13, the second half of verse 14, uh, talk about the fool and, again, the public Uh, detriment that happens here with the fool. Uh, A rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. You realize that uh, corporal punishment is not just for children. Corporal punishment is, yes, parents will administer it to children and spankings are good for them, and that's by design in uh, the, the genius of God's plan. How, how in the world does evolution create the gluteus maximus, all right? You know, it's God's design that designs the backside of humanity to be so vulnerable with, uh, to, to the rod. I mean, that's why it's there. And uh, in God's wisdom, it teaches us uh, powerfully. <laughs> all right, that's my... Uh, 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 apologetic against evolution. It's it's not really hit popularity yet, but who knows? Maybe some books will start to get written, and we'll have the the gluteus maximus uh, apologetic against evolution. Uh, but the 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 fool requires the rod, and on an adult basis, um, there's a public benefit when corporate discipline when when corporal punishment is applied. And uh, knuckleheads learn to not be knuckleheads, and they realize there's a consequence to certain things, and, and it, it forms a deterrent to that kind of activity within culture. And, uh, you know, Singapore doesn't have the the vandalism that we have, uh, not to the degree that we have it, because the cane is still administered to the, the uh, kids with the spray paint and uh, applications there. Anyway, this is what we talked about in uh, verses 13 and 14. Had a couple of sub points. Moved on to point 11. The grace perspective on wealth and poverty provides the crucial contrast between this life and the next. Again, we got a tandem of verses, verses 15 and 16, and we put them together and, and uh, developed it under uh, point 11 in the outline. We've got the rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. That's going to come back again later in the chapter in a contrast between a fortress and a ruin. And we can basically choose which one we want to live in depending upon uh, which Christian way of life or wicked way of life we want to to pursue. And so uh, the issues there. Verse 16, the wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked, punishment. And we see that there's consequences. Wages and the the payout that comes. And what uh, what it is that we're laying up in heaven, uh, either for blessing or for Judgment. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, of course it's a blessing. If it's wood, hay, stubble, then the fire of God's judgment hits it and it's consumed, and we suffer loss. All right, and uh, we want to learn the contrast between this life and the next, the the right application of wealth, uh, both on a spiritual basis and obviously the temporal basis. The carnal perspective on wealth and poverty fixes hope only on this life. It's totally wrapped up in the, in the here and now, totally wrapped up in, in uh, what's in it for me. And uh, the Bible has plenty to say on that. And I think we covered it uh, pretty well already a week ago. So Proverbs 18, 11, Ecclesiastes seven twelve, Ecclesiastes ten 19. We're actually going to have that again coming up uh, as another connection here with uh, Proverbs 10. Uh, Job 31, Luke 12, remember that's the rich man and, and uh, he was tearing down his barns so that he could build bigger barns. And uh, there's principles there. We're going to be back in that text again as well in, uh, in uh, the course of this. Uh, and Then finally, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 and verse 10, 1 Timothy six seventeen. 17. These are useful passages that help us to not be so worldly-minded when, when it comes to wealth. That There's a purpose for wealth and there's a purpose for why God supplies it and it's only for the here and now. You know, when, when I go to Ukraine, I need some grieveness because grieveness is what they spend in, in Ukraine. And uh, in fact, I get a lot of grieveness these days for, for the dollar. It used to be 3 to 1, now it's 24 to 1. And so, I mean, it's just unbelievable the exchange rate and how it's, it's uh, uh, the, the Ukrainian economy has been in the tank now for even worse than ours for a long, long time. But when I come back from Ukraine, you'll find that I have no use for grieveness in the United States. You know, you can keep grieveness in your pocket all you want You'll never have a use for it in Texas. Uh, all right? And that's the point. Earthly currency is great here on, on earth, but why do we need it in heaven? Okay, We don't. And we're not taking it with us. and It has no eternal value. And the purpose for having it while you're there is to use it while you're there. And in particular, for the body of Christ to be able to provide for the body of Christ as we bless one another, as we serve one another, as we share with one another. And in a lot of this, what I'm kind of rambling on about this morning, is what we have coming up in Galatians chapter 6. Because the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And we're discussing the aspect of sowing and reaping and sharing and these principles that apply uh, uh, among the body of Christ one to another. And uh, the uh, the principles there that apply in the financial realm. Alright, so that's verses 15 and 16 and then we get to uh, verse... Um, 19 through 21, let's see. Did I miss 17 and 18? How about that? He's on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he ignores the reproof, goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. We actually, okay, yeah, we did skip those verses, but the principles were included earlier, so I don't mind that. I think we covered 17 and 18 sufficiently enough when we were dealing with that inclusio earlier. The he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. All right, then verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. And of course, the righteous, positional truth, we're saved, we're in Christ. It's the only way to be righteous, okay? Well, an Old Testament believer is not in Christ, but they're still righteous as they're saved. And uh, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And so in verses 19, 20, and 21, we have the principles here that apply to communication. Communication of God's word. It is an awesome responsibility. And we want to reflect God's righteousness in all of our thinking, in all of our speaking, in all of our actions. We realize that tongue is a dangerous thing, as it says in James, that uh, it's a fire. We can, we can bless, we can curse. It's the same tongue that does both. All right. I think the accountability comes in in James 3. Let not many of you become teachers, beloved, knowing that as teachers we incur the stricter judgment. There is judgment. Every careless word comes into judgment. And boy, that's, uh, that's convicting. You know, If you talk a lot, uh, if your life is about talking as mine has been for 21 years now, uh, you know, you realize every careless word comes into judgment. We are called into account. And uh, if that seems extreme to you, understand that God is a communicator, and that His beloved Son is called the Word, and, uh, and He takes these things very seriously. Alright, the mouth can get us into tremendous trouble. Proverbs 17, did we look at these? Um, no, I don't think we did. We looked at Proverbs 10, and we looked at Jeremiah 23, 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is speaking as if he's uttering the uh, the oracles of God, the utterances of God, First Peter 4.11. All right, let's look at the negative side of this. The mouth can get us into so much trouble, Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. See, so what I need to start doing is I need to start marking these. I'm jotting my little notes down. <laughs> so when I come back next week, I know what we've covered. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. <laughs> and when he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. You know, that's, that's the, uh, the aspect of it. You may not be wise, but until you open your mouth, they don't know the difference, right? <laughs> uh the fool can stay silent. And uh because as soon as he opens his lips, it becomes obvious the uh the trouble that he's in. All right, Ecclesiastes ten, verses thirteen and fourteen. My dad was very fond of of uh quoting that and Adapting. And I think Ben Franklin had a had a an adaptation of, of that principle where he said it's better to remain silent and appear foolish than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 13 and 14. The beginning, let's see, backing up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I might teach Ecclesiastes one day. Who knows? Maybe when we wrap up Proverbs, then we'll do a bonus study on Ecclesiastes and, and, and spend, I don't know what length of time we'll spend with it, but just get a whole workshop on uh, human viewpoint. That is the perspective here of perverted wisdom minus divine viewpoint of truth. Um, anyway, verse 12, "...words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him." The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Saying it just gets worse and worse the longer he keeps going. Verse 14, yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? And so there you have it. And the more he talks, the worse it gets, and he just keeps multiplying it. And then as I said, James 3, 2, I don't think I have diversified these slides. Okay, James three two. It just takes so long to go in and put little boxes in there and hide the boxes and then put links in the boxes and diversify a slide, divers- diversify an entire slideshow. I find I don't think it's uh, the return is worth it on the investment. All right, James three two. Verse one says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So when you talk about the ultimate goal and the dream and the the pinnacle of maturity, um, that would be it. And since none of us have reached the pinnacle yet, all of us are still subject to um, misspeaking and to harmful speaking in uh, in different ways. All right. So that wraps up the last of uh, verses 19 through 21. Back to Proverbs 10 then, and we can take a look at what follows. Really, the rest of the chapter, kind of hard to outline, but I've done so, making them all sub-points of point 13. <laughs> so we're going to rapidly work our way now to the end of chapter 10. Chapter 10 concludes with a long chain of disconnected life principles, all right? And as I say, it's hard to outline from one verse to the next. There doesn't seem to be much that links them together. Um, we don't have as many of the pairings that we had. We've, we've seen some pairings, like 13-14 was a pairing, 15-16 was a pairing. Um, we don't have those pairings necessarily, Uh, to the end of the chapter until the very end, verses 31 and 32, where you have uh, a mouth in 31 and lips, uh, a tongue and lips in uh, 32. So that would be the last real pairing that we have. Most of uh, these verses are individual verses. Eight out of the 11 verses feature antithetical parallelism, where you have this on the one hand, but that on the other hand, the antithetical parallelism. Uh, mostly their contrast with the wicked versus the righteous. Eight out of the 11 feature the antithetical parallelism contrasting the wicked with the righteous. And they all relate to the life principles of wisdom, of personal and public wisdom, of the benefit that a believer has to his culture, to his society, uh, the benefit that accrues societally to believers with wisdom, and, and effectively what any believer would need before he leaves home if you're going to be prepared to to step forward in your own generational accountability to stand as a as an adult son or an adult daughter before Jesus Christ in the Christian way of life and operate in temporal life okay and i find it interesting when people want to have discussions about what is a what does a young person need before they leave home and, and the discussion is entirely secular it's all about um their schooling or their uh orientation to, to finances or, or driver's license or, or any number of things that every every young man needs, every young woman needs and uh, so forth before they leave home and they set out on their own in, uh, in their own generation. I think Proverbs is giving us uh, a better definition of generational accountability and uh, standing before the Lord in your own accountability to either walk in wisdom or be a fool. Alright? And... Uh, These verses, I think, speak to this. Starting with the blessings of Yahweh. Do you want your walk to be a walk of blessing? Do you want your walk to be a walk of regret? And uh, as we look at verse 22 now, it is the blessing of the Lord, it is the barakah of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. When We want to talk about barakah blessing, and we want to talk about the riches that He supplies. In uh, as, as a believer stands before the Lord, either in wisdom or in foolishness, uh, I think there's a lot of content that we can draw out of this 22nd verse. So let's start with that. The blessings of Yahweh provide riches without regrets. Riches without regrets. A corollary, not listed in this, in this verse, but understood or implicit, dishonest gain has numerous regrets. And we talk about what uh, what believers do when they compromise with the world system. And we talk about what the regrets that happen when believers don't operate under biblical principles. Dishonest game has numerous regrets. And as I said, it's not stated in verse 22, but it's implicit in, uh, in this. This is one of the three verses that does not contain the antithetical parallelism. So the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, does that have to be financial? No. In fact, often it's not. Often God is making a believer very rich, but they're rich in spiritual terms before the Lord while they're still very meager or very poor in, in earthly money, as far as that goes. Um, and he adds no sorrow to it. In other words, they didn't compromise their principles. They didn't pay a, uh, a, a carnality price in order to attain what they thought they wanted, and they don't have the regrets looking back, See. I've never known, uh, and this is the thing, when we talk into to our young people, they may not understand it, but hopefully years down the road they'll appreciate it, <laughs> all right? Because they're on the threshold of some very dangerous things, and they're in that awkward stage. And I love it, I love it because I hated it when I was that, at that age, but I love it in shepherding my children through that age, all right, and the children of Boston Bible Church and so forth. You know, they're in, they're in that, they're making that, that adjustment from childhood to adulthood, and uh, in so many ways as a young adult or as an adolescent, in puberty and beyond, that, that they're they're not totally adult yet. <laughs> Mostly, in a lot of ways, but they still have some of the, 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 the childhood is still there, and it's not completely gone yet. It's it's on the way out, it's fewer and farther between, but it's still there. Okay? And in the adult capacity, they're dealing with Hormones and emotions and feelings and thought processes that they never dealt with before. And, and, and so they need God's wisdom more than ever because the thinking is changing. It's not just the body that's changing, the thinking is changing. The mind is changing. The outlook is changing. And so they need God's wisdom more than ever to start to deal with things they've never encountered before. So if they're learning it when they're younger, they've got the principles down, they can now adjust to adult capacity and start to use the same wisdom they've been walking in all along. But volitionally, they've got to make that choice. And that's where it comes down to. Because they're they're crossing a threshold into realms where they're now making the choices that mommy and daddy can't be making for them anymore. They're going to make the choices, and they're going to face the consequences. And so it becomes important because right now they can make choices that are going to have consequences with regrets for the rest of their life, and they're going to and, and they they may get into ugly relationships and they may make poor decisions on different things, and they can take scars with them into their marriage that are just not necessary. And so you think about the regrets. And, and the neat thing too, I mean, in, in when 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 two virgins come before the, the Lord and they get married and the the first kiss is is the pastor telling them you may kiss the bride you know here's two young people that will have no regrets i've never I've never yet met anyone that regretted being a virgin on their wedding night okay and so without regrets, I think it's interesting here as as the Lord says, he adds no sorrow to it, the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it when Satan makes rich. There is tons of sorrow that's blended in. There are always strings attached. There's always that extra sorrow that goes in with with compromise, with going with the world's provision. Not so with God. Not so with God. All right, so in addition to Proverbs 10.22, let's see additional Proverbs that touch on this. Proverbs 15.16, this theme comes back again and again, at least two more times in the book. Proverbs fifteen sixteen Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. You see the contrast? God makes rich, and that rich may not be great treasure. The blessed the baraka of the Lord makes rich, and it may not be financial riches. Because great treasure with turmoil blended in is different than the riches that Baraka produces, okay? Now, it can be riches, but it doesn't have to be riches. That's what I'm saying. And so uh, if, if the price to pay for the great treasure is the turmoil that goes with it, the sorrow that goes with it, the regrets for the, the, the price that gets paid, you don't want it. You don't want that at all. If, if it's not from the Lord, you don't want it. Every good thing bestowed comes down from the Father of lights. So if you're if you're uh, trying to obtain something that's not from the father of lights, it's not a good thing. Every good thing bestowed comes down from the father of lights. So Proverbs 15:16, I think that's quite extraordinary there in connection with Proverbs 10:22. 22. Uh, towards the end of Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20. Proverbs 28:20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. And we'll talk about that. But the get-rich-quick schemes, making haste to get rich, you know, rather than how God designed it in uh, in the nature of what God designed for biblical economics, in terms of work and production and savings and frugality and wisdom and all of the blessings. Uh, you know, look to the Anto sluggard. There's principles throughout Scripture for for uh, the accumulation of wealth, and, and none of the biblical principles include um, any of the the get-rich-quick schemes that Satan likes to promote. The quick and easy. Oh, we don't have to do it the hard way. Here's a quick and easy way. And it's always painless. And oh, you don't have to, you know, who needs diet and exercise? we we'll would just take this pill and boom. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the quick and, and easy way. And And the lie is always the same, just little variations here and there. But it's always... Oh, you don't have to do the hard way. Here's an easy way. And, you know, and, and Satan's not stupid. He he knows how to do it because it works every time. You know, humans are so predictable. Uh, you know, carnality would love to take quick and easy over, over long and, and hard. Are you kidding? And so every time, whether it's weight loss or riches or um, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, he tried it with Jesus. And Jesus, you know, he telling Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory. Quick and easy. I mean, how hard can that be? It, won't, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't cost you anything. Just everything by denying God the Father and bowing down to Satan. So um, anyway, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who may makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. You know, we don't seek it. If he provides it, we'll stay faithful. But we don't desire it for its own sake. We don't view it as a goal. Whereas dishonest gain has numerous regrets. And, and this is just a sample. You probably have more that you can add to this list. Um, I like the example of Achan in Joshua seven, 6 and 7. You know, the lust for riches, the lust for treasure. And what's the harm if you just steal one little cup? Come on. Joshua 6, the plunder of Jericho, the whole city was under the ban. That meant no plunder. There's nothing in it for you. It's all for the Lord. It's all devoted to destruction. So in Joshua 6, verses uh, 17 and following here, um, here's the instructions. Uh, you're going to march around the city, seven priests carrying seven trumpets. They're going to walk around the city for seven days. And uh, once each day until the seventh day. And then on the seventh day, they're going to get up extra early because they got it seven times They got to march around. And a total of 13 laps around the city. And then the seventh time when the priest blow, uh, blows the trumpets, uh, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city and uh, the city shall be under the ban and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. So no plunder. You're not going to get rich off of this. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the band so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the band and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble upon it. You know, if coveting defiles a people, our nation's in a lot of trouble. We have a culture that specializes in coveting. And here we see a consequence for coveting is not just on the person that's doing the coveting, but on his culture, on his society. And so uh, if you covet and take some of the things under the ban, you will make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and the gold articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go to the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat and of course you get all the gospel quartet songs about the walls of Jericho and and uh, and that and the people went up to the city every man straight ahead and they took the city you know i mean think about it in a normal siege operation or in a normal invasion operation you're going to pierce the wall in in one location or two you know and and then you're going to you have to flood through there and the defenders can rush there but When all the walls come simultaneously crashing down and you got the place surrounded and everyone proceeds straight in from 360 degrees around, it's a massacre. So they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. All right. And of course, the two spies go in there and they rescue Rahab. One of them ends up marrying her. There's a fun story. All right. And. Verse 26, Joshua made them take an oath at the time saying cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds the city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn he shall lay its foundation and with the loss of his youngest son he shall set up its gates. This gets fulfilled. You can read it in 1 Kings when they rebuilt the city. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Wow, great story, happy ending until you read chapter (laughs) 7. And then you realize, oh by the way, um, the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zorah, from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban. Now that's a lot of detail. Why do I need to know all that? Why do I need to know his dad and his grandpa and his great-grandpa and his great-great-grandpa and where, where does he fit within the tribe, within the clan, within the family, within the house? These things are all significant to Israel in the Old Testament. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned. Now, I think it would have been true no matter what tribe, but Judah, really? I think I made it doubly bad, given that Judah is the ruling tribe. So the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. And when does, does he make that known? Joshua didn't know about it. The other people didn't know about it. I wonder how many of the uh, family, clan, and tribe uh, in proximity to Achan knew about it and didn't say anything. Okay, are we our brother keeper? Well, in a tribal culture, we are. In a family and a clan and a tribe, absolutely. And so they don't even learn until the next battle goes badly. And they go up to AI, where Glenn Carnegie did all those digs and all those times. They went up to AI, and uh, and they get defeated. They absolutely get defeated, and they can't figure out why, because it was smaller than Jericho. This should have been easy compared to Jericho. And Joshua tears his clothes, falls to the earth, and falls before the Lord and asks why, gets information. And uh, the Lord gives him the information. And uh, so they draw lots, and they, they find, uh, notice, um, verse 13, Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. So God expresses his displeasure on the nation. It's the consequence of the dishonest gain, the coveting, the the violation of the ban, and so, uh, in the morning then you shall come near by your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household which, come, which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And this is how they narrow it down. And so, you know, in the drawing of lots, and this was, is this was a method they used in the Old Testament, and God supervised it. His sovereignty uh, guaranteed the drawing of every lot and so the one who is taken with the things under the band shall be burned with fire, because and all that belongs to him, because he transgressed the covenant. And so they do this. And uh, in verse 16, the tribe of uh, Judah was taken by Lot. Imagine the other 11 tribes are breathing a sigh of relief, right? And then uh, bring the whole tribe forward then, and then uh, of the family of Judah and the family of the Zerahites. Uh-oh, now they're starting to get nervous, right? The other non-Zerahite families or clans within Ju- within Judah were, were safe, but now the clan of the Zerahites. And then uh, they're brought man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And so Zabdi now has to bring his household together. And it's Achan. Achan the son of Carmi, and So he's the one that's identified here. And Achan confesses in verse 20. Uh, Achan answered Joshua and said, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. And I coveted them and I took them and behold they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So he just does a total confession. He owns up to it and he identifies it. Turns in the stolen goods. Joshua sent messengers they find the silver. They, they bring them out and uh, poured them out before the Lord. And then uh, judgment gets executed here. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him brought them to the valley of acorn this is This is interesting because later in Mosaic law they're not your family is not to be executed for the sins of somebody else, but here the whole family is brought under judgment, and uh, they raised a big heap of stones. Alright, so all Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones and raised over this great big heap. So the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor to this day. Alright? Now my suspicion is, by the way, if you want to ask, my suspicion is is that the wife and the children and they were all volitional participants, that they were aware of what was being hidden, that they assisted in the in the bearing of the goods, and they I mean How do you you bring all this treasure home and bury it in your tent and and your wife doesn't know or your kids don't know, okay? So I believe that they were also volitional participants. And and I suspect, too by the way, the whole process about, by the way, we're going to draw lots, we're going to draw lots, at any time Aiken could have come forward. Or Mrs. Aiken could have come forward. Or Aiken Jr. could have come forward. Someone in the family could have come forward and no one did the lot for Judah was taken, the lot for the clan was taken, the lot for the Zerohites, the lot from the family was taken, the lot from Achan was taken. And at no step in between did they ever step forward and confess. Makes me wonder. All right? Talk about riches with regrets. (laughs) You know, when you're defying the Lord to accumulate treasure, man, What are you really going to accomplish? And are you going to be able to enjoy the treasure that you accumulate when you're living in defiance of the Lord? How much enjoyment do you have? See, the the Christian way of life should provide a lot of enjoyment. We're going to see, in fact, in this chapter, we've got, um, in fact, the very next verse, verse 23, we're going to talk about sport. We're going to talk about enjoyment, recreation. What do you do for fun? What gives you enjoyment? It's not wrong to have fun. you just got to have fun in the right way, in the right thing. Not in wickedness, but in the Word of God. Anyway, so that's coming up. Um, But how many people are compromising the Word of God for their sport, for their entertainment, for their fun, for their accumulation of treasure? And they never get to enjoy the treasure. It's supposed to be for enjoyment. But the discipline of God is upon them so that they cannot enjoy the treasure that they've accumulated. In fact, it's grievous to them instead of uh, a blessing. All right, Ezekiel 22, another text I think that comes to my mind when I think of things like this. You maybe have other passages, if so, I don't mind if you want to highlight them or let me know, some that have been your favorite maybe for years and years. All right, I lost Ezekiel, there he is, Ezekiel 22. Another text, I think, particularly with dishonest gain and how it poisons a culture. When a society becomes entirely materialistic, consumer driven, all right, (laughs) as if we're the first ones to invent this kind of thing. Verse uh, 23, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst like a roaring lion tearing its prey. So we have a defiled land and it starts with a spiritual leadership. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Jesus even rebuked in his generation. He says, you've devoured widows' houses. Her priests have done violence to my law. So we have the prophets in verse 25, the priests in verse 26. They've done violence to my law, and they have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane, and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. You get, you get a, uh, well, today we would say the clergy has no distinction between, between the secular and the profane. I'm sorry, the holy and the profane. Her princes, so we have prophets, priests, and princes, within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Instead of protecting the population, p- the political class is there to victimize the population. You know, you see a a vineyard and you want it, and he won't sell it. And so you pout about it until your wife Jezebel says, just go take it. You're the king, kill the man, Take take his vineyard. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The wall is crumbling, and they just put a little whitewash on there and say, no, we're fine. They did nothing at all to build up the wall. They just coated it to make it look good. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. And so it, it, it's interesting. It is, this passage does take it top-down. We looked at another one uh, earlier that was not top-down, but this one is top-down. Prophets, priests, princes, people the people of the land. And and it it becomes a mindset. It becomes an attitude. It's all about what I get and who I have to hurt to get. It doesn't matter. Oppression is valid. Robbery is okay. You know, you're only in trouble if you get caught. They have wronged the poor. Well, who's going to stand up for them anyway? And the needy, they've oppressed the sojourner without justice. Oh my, the sojourner. Yeah, he's, he's totally out there. He's he's just passing through from wherever, you know. And um, no justice at all. Extrajudicial killings, extrajudicial robbery. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. This actually has a parallel in Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, walk through the land, find me one righteous man. And Jeremiah couldn't because he was the only one left in Jerusalem. And here's Ezekiel getting the same message over in uh, his captivity in Babylon. This is where, by the way, we get the idea of standing in the gap. We should be standing in the gap as believers in the United States. We we need to be standing in the gap. We better be armored up and righteous before the sight of God the Father, pleading in prayer, interceding on behalf of our nation. Is there anybody standing in the gap? Thus I have poured out my indignation on them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, their ways I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. So that's another text I think of when I think about dishonest gain and the regrets that are sparked and the price that gets paid and the consequences, not just individual consequences, societal consequences to a nation, to a culture, the impact that this has. When when the blessings of Yahweh have no such regrets. You accept what Yahweh pours forth, and there are no regrets. But abandoning Yahweh's provision and taking Satan's route, taking the world's route, regrets everywhere. Personal regrets, family regrets, national regrets. A New Testament text that hits me in this realm is James chapter 5. Hebrews, James, chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl f- for your miseries which are coming upon you. And so we ask ourselves, which, ki- which category of rich is he talking to here? Is James talking about the beloved that just embraced the, the wealth, of the barakah of Yahweh? And, or is he talking about someone that compromised, that went Satan's method, that, that pursued the world's routes, and now they've got a lot of regrets? Your, uh, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. <clears throat> it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. You're not supposed to withhold their wages, not even for one night. You don't wait till the next morning to pay them. If they work today, you pay them today. You pay them tonight. Close a business is close a business and you cash out. That's the principle in Mosaic Law. That's the principle in the Scriptures. If you you withhold the the wages even for an overnight, you're violating the the principle of, of Mosaic Law. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. In fact, the longer you delay, the longer you delay. What, what are you doing? Hoping that they don't collect? Hoping that they die before payday? Hoping that, you know, before, before payroll has to be uh, expended? You know? No. You have lived and, and it reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Lord Sabaoth, his name, right? From age to age, the same. This is the Lord God of the armies. This is the God of vengeance. When he shows up, he's, he's, he's there for a reason. You have lived luxuriously on the earth. Is that why he makes us wealthy? And led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Fattened your hearts. Do we want to be fat? We want to be fed, but do we want to be fat? Okay? And what's the difference? And and what's the well, we'll talk about the the role of shepherding is coming up in Jeremiah 23 is coming up in. Uh, different applications on shepherding: Ezekiel 23, Psalm 23. What's up with the 23rd chapter of all these books <laughs> that uh, deal with shepherding? All right. Well, we don't want the regrets. We don't want the regrets to get what we want, and the, and the price that gets paid, and and, and the idea too. I mean, the the whole dog eat dog world of corporate, you know, the the mentality of of uh, corporate America in a lot of ways. It didn't used to be this way, but. Or, you know, you got to tear somebody down for you to get ahead? Is that the will of God? No. No. All right, so that's the blessings of Yahweh from verse 22. Then we have fun in verse 23. Pick your sport. Wickedness or wisdom? And when you turn sin into a recreational sport... How far are you in down that path of uh, judgment, okay? I mean, we all sin. I get that fallen man has a sin issue, and we we uh, we all stumble in many ways, but we want to be convicted of those sins and confess those sins. We want to forsake those sins when we're convicted, we want to move past those sins we want to grow. We don't want to get so wrapped up in the sins that they they become entertainment that they become sport that we get uh that we get proficient in them you know I love uh, every time Pastor Cliff talks about his dream of being a professional bowler you know um there's a difference between a recreational bowler bowler and a professional bowler and and you know i've I've gone maybe three times in 20 years, 25 years, and and uh, I, I don't bowl a lot, all right? And every time I do, it's kind of silly, but I have fun and whatever, and then I don't have fun because I'm too competitive. And, uh, and then I think, you know, if I bowl more than three times in 25 years, I might get better at this, okay? Because it takes practice. Scrabble takes practice, all right? So whatever you're doing, and if you're doing it often enough and frequent enough, and you're getting better at it, you're getting better at it, now it's become your passion. It shouldn't be sin. Okay? Wickedness should not become your sport. And we see this here in, in verse 23. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. It's the entertainment. It's the fun. And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. And this is a point, too, that we made in, in a previous study. And uh, is, is the Word of God fun? Do we find it recreational? Is it relaxing? Is it entertainment? It, it's, it should be. It can be. It ought to be. And uh, we see the principles here. So pick your sport, wickedness or wisdom. Either may provide recreational enjoyment, but one of them should not do so. Life is not all about how much fun we can have. But sporting, playing, enjoying the Word of God, that is our privilege. This was uh, something that we commented on in Proverbs chapter 8 because the Word of God was playing. God the Son was playing and the Father took delight in the Son and the Son took delight in the Father. And we discussed this as a principle in Proverbs chapter 8 verses 30 and 31 when wisdom was begotten. When God the Father begot the humanity of Jesus Christ and and the playing that was illustrated there in that verse. Okay, Let's look at that next and then we'll back up and see some of these other principles. Proverbs 8 verses 30 and 31. You remember this? This is the beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Yahweh begat me at the beginning of His way before His works of old. That's Proverbs 8.22. And if you weren't here, I urge you, get, get to the website and let's listen to these classes from chapter 8. Some of the deepest truth of all the scriptures right here. Because uh, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee is, is a powerful statement from Psalm 2. But Psalm 2 doesn't tell us what day is today. Today I have begotten thee. Proverbs 8 tells us what day is today. I have begotten thee. And that's before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times on the earth, when there was no, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. When He had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when He established the heavens, I was there. All right, now, this is huge. This is the pre. This is the 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 incarnation of the humanity of Jesus Christ, and it preceded the heavens and the earth. It preceded the angels. It preceded, obviously, it preceded man. But here is uh, the first man. That's the humanity of Jesus Christ. And um, when um, he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set the sea for its, bound, its boundaries so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. So we have his birth in this uh, passage and then we have his uh, work in this passage where God the Son stands with God the Father and accomplishes all the Father's good pleasure. The Father was the architect but the Son was the carpenter in, in constructing the universe. So I was beside him as a master workman and I was daily his delight playing, rejoicing always before him rejoicing in the world his earth and having my delight in the sons of men. All right, this is what we're dealing with in the concept of playing, rejoicing, celebrating, sporting. Depending on the context and depending on the passage, it has all of these translations. Sporting, okay? And so... um, Obviously we want to pick our sport. We want to sport in truth. We want to sport with the Lord. We want to find our enjoyment in Him, not in wickedness, not in our sin. Alright, so i got eight minutes left. No I don't, the clock is wrong. I've got six minutes left. The um, Let's look at the other Proverbs that address the same issue, because Proverbs 10, this is uh, an introduction to the concept. It comes back again in chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 26 as far as wickedness or wisdom Proverbs 14:9 Fools mock at sin but among the upright there is goodwill It's not a mocking matter it's not a laughing matter it's not something to have fun with and yet we have parades we have uh we have a culture that mocks at sin and laughs at sin and celebrates sin We want to have pride, or they do, in their sin. Sin is not a laughing matter, it's not a mocking matter. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You might do the mocking, but God is not being mocked. But among the upright there is goodwill. Chapter uh, 15 and verse 21. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. But a man of understanding walks straight. Folly is a joy to him. Oh, isn't this fun? Oh, we're having fun now. And all of his uh, carnality, all of his sin, all of that is just, hey, it's fun. Folly is a joy. What a waste of time. Yeah, isn't it great? Let's do it again next week. (laughs) Okay. I'm returning wickedness into a sport. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19. Like a madman. Oh yeah, this is fun. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Who would do such a thing? Yeah, a madman, yeah. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, wasn't I joking? (laughs) You know? People try to cover up their carnality and say, oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, I was just joking. No, you know how destructive that is? You're like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. You're doing harm in the meantime to yourself and others. It's not a joking matter. And to pass it off as if it's a joke when it's not a joke, that's not a joke either. All right. Well, more to say on that. All right. So either may provide recreational enjoyment. Do you you believe that? Scripture says so. Sin is fun. It's carnally fun. Alright? That's why it's called the passing pleasures of sin. Moses, when he was growing up, chose not to identify with the people of Egypt. He was identifying with his own people. He was he choosing not to uh, you know what I'm talking about? Hebrews 11? The, those passing pleasures of sin. I'm going to misquote it if I don't read it. Um. Abraham, Sarah, Abraham, Moses, here we go. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And he's a grandson of Pharaoh. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have all the pleasures in the world. He had the, the wealth and the authority and the might and whatever and all the money, all the women, all the wine, all the anything he wanted he could have but it's called the passing pleasures of sin. And I think considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. See, you've got to be looking with an eternal mindset. You've got to be looking to spiritual realities. But I think we do our children a disservice if we lie to them or we misrepresent sin, that, that there are legitimate pleasures. You know, sex is fun. It's great. It feels wonderful. But there's a place for it. It belongs in marriage and uh and likewise the what what alcohol will do what drugs will do the stimulation that that they provide there will be phys- physiological effects in the the uh things you're drinking and smoking and whatever else you're doing there are pleasures but there is sorrow that goes with the pleasures there's regrets that go with the pleasures there's a price to pay as we saw in the previous verse and uh wisdom is going to teach us to forsake those Sinful pleasures because the eternal pleasures are what we need to be focused on. Focused on the reward. Anyway, I think we do a disservice to young people if we misrepresent uh, as if sin has no pleasure of any kind. Because it does. We want to be transparent about that. Alright, so either one may provide recreational enjoyment, but one of them should not do so. Life is not all about how much fun we can have, despite commercials. (laughs) commercials. <laughs> okay. Commercials, let me tell you, commercials convince you, convince me, convince all of us that it's all about the fun. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. You mean, if I drink that beer, I'm going to get that woman. I'm going to ride that uh, water scooter thing. I'm going to have all the, man, you know what I get to do? You know, I got to use that product, man. You know, I've changed shampoo three times just based on commercials. Okay. That might be an exaggeration but there might be a little truth in it, all right? But, you know, you, you, you're, you're looking at the shelf, you're trying to decide, hmm, and then you remember a commercial and go, oh, yeah, that was kind of fun. Okay, so you pick the shampoo off the shelf, and then you kind of like the shampoo. Um, Anyway, I'm out of time. We're going to look at these verses next week, and notice Ecclesiastes comes back again as far as having fun in this life. But also some passages... Um, there's Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife, and he came in to make sport of me, to play with me, and uh, other aspects of playing between uh, uh, Isaac and Rebekah. They're, now, they're, they're married, they're husband and wife, and uh, so they were playing, okay? It's called playing, uh, or caressing, or uh, having fun, okay? Whatever idiom you attach to it, uh, the Hebrew language has a similar idiom, and, and life is more than that. Okay? But there's a place for all of these things as God has designed it. And so we'll talk about those, those scriptures as well. Thank you Father for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for Proverbs. Uh, it's just as alive today as it's ever been from the day it was written. Uh, sin is still sin and your word is still your word. And We have uh, our daily applications to make in our generation and to pass on to our children Father so that they stand before you in the, the wisdom of personal and public life. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.